Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at antiochraleigh.com. Hey, um, before I get into teaching this morning, I, 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 I need to tell you a really tr- a true story. There was an atheist walking through the countryside on a hike in the mountains when he was um, ambushed by a huge grizzly bear. Oh God, he screams, help me. The bear stops in its track and a voice from heaven rings out. All your life, you've said you don't believe in me. You've slandered my name. Now you want my help? Uh, The atheist says, I realize that my request is rather bold, but would it be possible for you to at least make the bear a Christian? And the Lord says, of course, I can do that. And immediately the bear kind of starts shaking himself like he's out of a dream, and he bows his head. He stands up on his back legs, and he folds his front feet, and he says, Lord, thank you for the meal I'm about to receive. (laughs) Okay. I wanted to interject a little bit of uh, theological humor. I don't know about the theology of all that, but I'm not teaching yet. Uh, One thing I I, want to thank... Uh, Virginia, for I know, in fact, I said, you were really nervous, weren't you? She said, oh, yeah. I knew you'd back me up, though. I go, yeah, and and let me tell you why I would back her up. Um, And I I think it's ironic and also sometimes unfortunate that God's people aren't familiar with one of the, the gifts that actually the New Testament talks a lot about and a major teaching that Paul gave. Uh, unfortunately, it's one that I think a lot of people think he was saying, don't do that. Uh, what he was actually saying is, do it, but do it correctly, which is the way we did it this morning. Um, and um, let me just give you some text for that. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification or the building up of the church. That's what you should seek to excel in. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Now, this is a description Paul's giving about the spiritual reality of what's going on. But my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding and I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding otherwise if you bless with the spirit how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed that'd be all of us sitting out here listening say amen at the giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say so there's a we're not going to teach on this this morning, but praying in the Spirit often is a giving of thanks, and that's 
and is adoration and exaltation. And that's exactly what we got today. How many of you wanted to worship the Lord after you heard that? I, I really like it that the Lord is steady. I, I don't know about you. I haven't been thinking about the Lord as steady. I mean, I know he is, but I think that's a good description of the Lord. He is not, there's no sweat beads on God's forehead this morning. Okay. Then he says, for you indeed give thanks well enough, but the other's not edified. And then Paul makes this statement, but I thank God I speak with tongues more than all of you. If it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. How about that? And I like to say that uh, I'm in a competition with Paul. All right. Um, We have been, for the last several, really couple of months, talking about a life of pilgrimage. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about landmarks of the pilgrimage. And one of the metaphors we've been trying to help you understand is all of us need a picture of the, the box of the puzzle so we know where we are, so we can begin to comprehend where we may be in the journey of pilgrimage. Because we have been called to be sojourners and pilgrims in this earth, and this is not our permanent Well, excuse me. This is our permanent home. It's just going to get a complete makeover. The new heavens and the new earth are coming down from heaven. We're actually not going to heaven per se. We're going back to repopulate the world that God created in Eden. And then what happens after that? Uh, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. So I can just tell you it's better than you can imagine but in the meantime we're not there on that part of the journey yet on that part of the sojourn we're still on this side of the veil as we say and we want to there is only one every one of you have one life that you are going to present to the Lord on that day and One of the things I want to talk about really clearly with you is no matter where you are in the journey, no matter how immature or childish or childlike you are or how mature you become, your standing never before God is never dependent on your maturity. You will never be loved by Jesus any more than you currently are. He doesn't like you better when you grow up. He doesn't love you better. And your standing with the Father doesn't change one iota, no matter how mature or immature you are. Okay? Because... I did not, as Philippians said, Paul said, I did not have a righteousness of my own. But I received the righteousness through Jesus Christ. We can never, ever forget that. And so this morning, as we 
kind of continue to process this whole idea of, this, of the journey, one of the things that people really, uh, I introduced this concept, I think a couple of weeks ago, is that part of this spiritual journey, often what we don't anticipate is encountering what we labeled the wall. And if you would, would you show that? I call, you know, in case you... Uh, Start over here with D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E. Using the acronym DISCIPLE, we have the beginning of our walk with Jesus is learning to be devoted to Jesus, identity and foundation, service and ministry. Then we have a crisis where we hit the wall. And after that crisis where we hit the wall, then we begin to go into a deeper inner life, We begin to discover the power of a spirit-led life. We begin to learn how to love even our enemies. And we begin entering, and I said entering Christ-likeness because we never actually arrive in Christ-likeness. That is always a pursuit. And so a few people said, well, I'd love for you to expand a little more on this whole idea of hitting the wall. Because one of my assertions and one of my convictions is that most of the church, if you want to look at this circle and the wall is kind of the dividing line, most of the church never gets past this right half over here. And when I say most of the church, I'm talking about the pastors, the spiritual leaders, the elders. Very, very few people actually get past these first three stages, and so many of us get stuck, not unlike the children of Israel who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And last week, I, we examined some of the reasons you hit a wall. And so let's, let's review this. All that I'm, t- I'm just doing review, and part of the reason I'm doing review is, in a way, this is maybe one of my important my life messages. Because I was somebody that got stuck at the wall for at least 10 years. People get stuck at the wall, and there's reasons they get stuck at the wall, and they don't advance in their walk with the Lord. And it's all because His intention is never to leave you where you are. How many of you have ever seen a 25-year-old with a bottle in their mouth screaming and kicking their feet on the floor. I've never seen that. The, the only people that ever see that are usually people that work in institutions for the mentally ill. And so part of what happens is God has his ways and means committee and he has his fix for you and very often the fix he has for you is not a fix you like at all so you try to fix the fix that God fixed for you and he'll fix a new fix to fix you (laughs) now what I want to emphasize in all of this 
is that these first three stages that we talk about over here are not bad stages. In fact, they're incredibly important stages. So I want to get into really talking about the the first three of these these stages and then kind of the last three in in, in terms of spiritual stages of maturity. Now, what I'm literally borrowing this from, and in a way you might, anybody, any uh, education majors in the room, don't have any teachers, school teachers, okay. If you are a school teacher uh, or in child development or child psychology, you are going to get trained um, stage theory when it comes to human development. And uh, most of this stuff is very well documented, and it is something that educators are often trained in. And it's actually something we need to be training parents in, uh, to understand the stages of development. And interestingly enough, um, the, the apostles of the Lord Jesus understood this. So let's start with a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for solid food. Even now, you're still not ready, for you're still of the flesh. Pay attention. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when I say I, for for when one says I belong to Paul, and another said I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? Interesting. I like that. Not merely human. By the way, I don't. I want to inform you: when you get born again, you're no longer merely human. You are a supernatural creature that will live for eternity. And what we want to do is expand your understanding of that supernatural inheritance so that you begin to look more like you've been on the other side of heaven than this side. That's the goal. That's the goal of church is to grow you up into all that Christ has. Let's, let's now go to 1 John 2, 12 through 14. And I want you to pay attention to these three different phrases that... that the apostle, the old apostle, he's on Patmos, he's in prison, uh, and he's writing affectionately to the church. And listen to what he says. I write you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write you, young men. Because you have overcome the wicked one. I write you little children. Because you have known the father. I have written you fathers. Because you have known him. Who is from the beginning. Notice he says the exact same thing. When he talks to fathers. I've written you young men. Because you're strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. So what I want to do is I want to pack these ideas that we just, basically four stages of maturity. Now, 
I can just tell you there's some other stages in the scripture, and we're going to look at them. But I think these four categorizations are the, the most succinct and help us get a handle on what God is wanting to do in your and my life. And it's really important to understand, um, I'm, I'm going to just say it this way. When Brenda and I had teenagers, this was one of the most common phrases we would say to each other, especially at those intense moments of frustration. In those moments when, as the parent, you wanted to act like a teenager. And this was the phrase we always said, one of us has to be the adult here. Okay? Because there was a few, mo few times I can just tell you, we probably acted more like teenagers. Well, I'll tell you, and you know, we started acting like the teenager, and um, we didn't. So here's, here's the three sta four stages I want to look at. The first stage is the infant stage. Now, here's a characteristic of infants and toddlers, okay? And by the way, the, the stages that we use today are a little bit different than the ones in the uh, Scripture, but they're, they're, we, can, we can make them fit, okay? But one of the things, how many of you uh, have toddlers right now or infants? Any? any? Oh, okay. Got a whole bunch of people with toddlers and infants. How many of you are aunts and uncles to toddlers and infants? So, oh, there's some more. I, can I just, how many of you just want to go squeeze an, a toddler, especially, you know, and some guys don't feel comfortable with infants, but they love squeezing toddlers. I do. I just, I just want to go bite their neck and just yeah, you know, say I'd get me some brown. I say this is me. Granddaddy's getting some brown sugar, you know, and and I, you just you want to blow, you know. Can you just imagine somebody hating an infant or a toddler? So this is this is when when we talk about infants, we talk about they're incredibly important. And you know one thing you don't do with infants and toddlers very much, especially the younger they are, you don't discipline them. That's, that's not, that's not, you begin to train them, but you don't use very much discipline at all with infants. Which I want to just say, that's why you really have to have sensitive pastors with really young people and youth groups and college groups because they are a lot of times they're spiritual infants I know you guys don't like to think of yourself that way uh, but but um, by the way one of the other truths about spiritual maturity is it has almost nothing to do with time it has almost nothing to do with time now when I say that I'm also going to tell you a, a paradoxical proverb growing up and maturing in Christ takes longer than you think um, and, and part of the reason is, is you've got to pass the exams and none of you get to be seniors in college in three years. There's almost nobody that does that. I don't think there's ever been anybody done that. An eight year old college graduate, maybe, 
I doubt it. The point I'm making is it still takes us a while to just get past some of the basics. And trust me, when you get a college degree, I don't care how advanced it is, you're still just at the basic level. Talk to any of your future employment employers five years after you get there, and they'll tell you, yeah, you didn't know anything. Even though you thought you did. I hope I'm not coming across condescending. I've just been a boss. <laughs> and I, I don't despise that. It's why we have so much training in the corporate world. All right, let me just read you some notes I took down. Well, notice one of the things about infants. They're full of envy, jealousy, strife. I mean, Paul just described it. They're into factions. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of, I'm of Antioch Community Church, and we're better than that other church over there. Don't you know that this church is better than that church? You know what you are? You're an infant if you think that way. You're actually an infant. That's infantile thinking, okay? Um, babies need to be fed, carried, and clothed. They don't do it for themselves. Babies don't think, they jabber. In other words, they have a lot of careless talk. They're easily disturbed by noise and events that they're not familiar with. Babies actually don't know what's good for them. Have you ever seen a rock in the hand of a baby? If it's small enough, you take that rock away, don't you? Why? You don't want... It's like, okay, I'm going to have to be checking the potty here. Uh, make sure they've passed it. And, you know, they will put anything in their mouth. And, you know, they're just constantly doing that. And you can't keep, they don't know what's good for them. And do we judge them for that? Of course not. Babies are attention seekers. They need constant reassurance and affirmation. They need to be told it's going to be okay. That's just lightning. You're going to learn to like lightning, I hope. Because uh, if we don't, it's going to be a long night. When babies have a little bit of pain, it sounds like they're dying. Well, we really don't know what a baby feels. But we all know what it's like to be uncomfortable and have a little pain. And we don't cry all night long with it. Okay, but that's normal for babies and infants, particularly. Uh, babies are not conscious of other, others. They just aren't. They're, they're not even conscious of themselves. They have almost no self-awareness. In fact, most child psychologists say that infants until a certain stage don't even know they're a different being than their mother or their father, especially their mothers. Uh, babies live a need-driven life. What they need, here's what I need. We have churches focused on meeting the, the people's needs. And you go, well, those church are, those are seeker-sensitive churches. They, all they care about is meeting people's needs. Well, maybe that's why they have so many infants there. And that's a good thing. 
I'm not complaining. Some of us came in and through churches that really focused on meeting infants' needs. And that's a great thing. We need to have a really good nursery in every church in America. Okay? Can we say amen to that? Can we quit comparing ourselves and being envious and saying, well, we're not going to be like those seeker-sensitive churches because we're going to preach the lordship of Jesus. Okay. Do you see where I'm going with this? That's actually not mature. That's immature. You just think you're mature. And you know what you're like when you do that kind of stuff? You're like the four-year-old pointing at the one-and-a-half-year-old saying, Baby! Okay. So, I, I would just say this. Part of, part of having a healthy church physically is, and, and sociologically is that you have a lot of children, and we got a ton of them, and we got p- people downstairs praying that I don't go too long. Okay. All right, then there's the next stage. Then there's the next stage. It's called a child. And I don't know about you, but I love eight-year-old boys and girls. There's something about that age. Everything is a wonder. Everything is exciting. Everything is an adventure. They're just full of curiosity. And Brenda and I live in an apartment below the main house we own, and that house is a Airbnb that stays full all the time uh, in downtown Raleigh, and we, did, we had no idea that toddlers and young, and, and particularly children under the age of 10, n- do you know they never walk? <laughs> I mean, never I mean, they run to bed. They run everywhere they go. And I, I, I even, I could demonstrate it for you. But the problem is, if I ran that way and then back up here and that way, I'd just be exhausted. So I, I'm not going to demonstrate it for you, but they are nonstop scamperers. And you hear them going above us all the time. We go, oh, no, there's three of them. No, there's two. I don't know. Maybe there's two. Well, it's probably just two, but it sounds like a herd of toddler, uh, you know, children. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke, thought, and reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So the goal isn't to be a child. The goal is to be childlike, always. I, also, I always want to have the wonder, the anticipation, the ex- and I'd love to scamper more, too. Uh, But more importantly than any of that is that I don't just stay thinking, acting, and reasoning like a child. And let me tell you how you know you're a child spiritually is what your actions look like when you're under stress. Children tend to fall apart when too much stress comes on. 
And they act out in ways either in anger or crying or fear. And let me just tell you something. There's, that's, that's okay. Unless you've been a Christian for 35 years and you're still doing that. Now that doesn't mean you won't be tempted to do that. It just means you don't stay there very long. You know how to deal with it. You know how to process your anxiety, your fear, and the stress levels that come into your life. But a really great measure of understanding your own maturity level is how you handle anxiety, stress, and fear. And when they come at you. When stress comes, it reveals the areas in your life that need maturity and growing up and strengthening. Now here's the good news. Where there is stress... Where there's anxiety, where there's pressure, where there's conflict, there's always, and this is something, this was a breakthrough for me. When I realized that sitting out there available were the resources of my inheritance for me to overcome all of that, I began to, my life began to change dramatically. I begin to have a sense of control. It's called self-control. It's actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't really want to control you. He wants you to control you. I mean, a lot of us keep crying out prayers like this. Oh, God, just make me do this. Uh, Anybody ever had that prayer, prayer answered? There's a few of you do it. How many of you, how'd that go for you? I mean, it's like, I don't really want the Lord to make me do something. That, that's, uh, that, those are typically not good experiences. What I want is I want to choose to do His will. I, I want, listen to this verse in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. This is, this is Paul again. He says, as long as the heir, and that's who we are, we're heirs of everything that the Father has for us, he does not differ from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. That is a profound statement. As long as an heir is a child. I I had a, a prophetic dream several years ago that changed my life. In this prophetic dream, I, uh, and I, I don't have a lot of these, but I, this one really impacted me hugely. And in this dream, I am, st- you know how, in fact, I was kind of like this. I was above some, and there was this, this young girl, and I, I could tell it was a girl. She had long hair. Uh, she was kind of between the ages of 12 and 14 maybe. I, I couldn't be sure. But what I noticed is I, uh, there was this three other teenagers standing opposite her. And I don't know how I knew it, but in the dream, I knew that this girl was a queen or royalty. I mean, she was, she was an incredibly important young lady 
And in my dream, I start going around and I start seeing her profile and I am stunned. And you know, how do you explain dreams? In the dream, I could tell she was the most beautiful woman that had ever lived on the planet. She was amazingly beautiful. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is an amazingly beautiful. But I start watching the interaction between her and the, 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 the teenagers kind of. A, a, and you could tell they were attracted. Simultaneously, they were repelled. You could tell they all had their guard up. You could tell. And then as I looked at her, I noticed just a little hint of haughtiness. And then I began to rotate around her again, looking down, and I was shocked when I could see her. So I'm, I'm coming from her on her right side, and as I get around, I see that she's blind, that she has no eye in her left eye. And the Lord says these words. I am looking for custodians of the bride. And then I wake up from my dream. And in this same exact text, Paul talks about, in, in I think it's uh, King James, New King James Version, it uses the exact word custodians. And it says, this child is under the direction of custodians until the age of majority, until they grow up. And one of the things that I, in fact, when I looked up the word, I, I went, I said, a custodian, is that a janitor? They're going to clean up the messes? And then I read the second definition. A custodian is an administrator until an heir is of age to receive the inheritance. That's the definition of a custodian. And the Lord said the, the body of Christ needs to get much more depth perception and understand what they're seeing because they don't they they, they see only one way and not with both eyes. And the and the Lord began to unpack a lot of things to me. But that message, the Lord said, I am looking for custodians of the bride who want to prepare her to be who she's supposed to be so that the world will no longer be repulsed by her. They want to be attracted to her. They know she's royal. They know there's answers there. They just can't get over some of her immaturities, her haughtiness, her arrogance, her self-importance. And so what I'm appealing to you is this is not just about you growing up spiritually and having some sort of, you know, moment of self-congratulation. This is the world is desperately in need of us to grow up and be become the mature bride of Christ. And it's going to take some time and we have to be patient. How do you put away childish things? You know, we have an option of being slaves or servants. Do you know that? According to Paul, we have an option.
Here's the thing about little children. Little children hear the truth, but they don't practice it. Little children need reinforcement of truth over and over and over again because they keep forgetting it. They're like someone who looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like. Little children can get free, but they can't stay free. See this all the time. I was free from my habitual sin for three months, and then I went back into it. It's okay. I'm going to say that again. You you heard your pastor say, it's okay. You just can't stay in that vicious cycle because at some point you just begin to get totally immersed and then you lose, then you get into despair and disillusionment and you, you go, oh, it doesn't work. God's not really there. He doesn't care. And here's the question I have for you. What was the last thing that Jesus asked you to do and you obeyed you say well he didn't ask me to do anything lately why would he if you're never going to obey one of the reasons some of us as young believers and, and and childish believers never hear the voice of the lord is he's not wanting us to get into deeper disobedience than we already have Repent and do the first works. Go back and do what I told you to do and start over again and you will accelerate your obedience. Well, you know, I I knew you didn't really want me to date that guy, but I, you know, he really liked me and he was good looking. Or maybe it was the job or the acquisition or the relationship you're not willing to go back and mend or on and on because you're still being childish. You're still acting like someone who doesn't know the inheritance they have. I mean, most children that are born to incredibly wealthy people thankfully don't have an ambition for all that wealth. That's a good thing. They're not preoccupied with their 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 future status. On the other hand, they're never going to receive it until they grow up, or at least they shouldn't. And we know what happens to those that do when they receive it, and they shouldn't. An inheritance gained too quickly comes to ruin, is what the proverb says. (coughs) Children don't accept responsibility for their own problems. Now, the good news is they have childlike faith and trust. They really do. But what they don't have is the ability to self-confront. That's why mom and dad have to so much. So, I hope this isn't getting too heavy, but then again, you know, let let it touch you. There's another stage. There's young men... Teenagers, young men and women. Now that's a spiritual stage that's really exciting. All of a sudden, there's another proverb that says, the glory of young men and young women is their strength. The glory of old men is their experience or wisdom. Um, 
One of the characteristics of young men in that text was they start to learn how to overcome the enemy. You have overcome the devil. You, and twice, it's really interesting. Young children, there was two different things the, the apostle said. He said, you know your sins are forgiven. That's, that's the young children. They begin to know they are forgiven. They are loved. Their, their sins are gone. So much of the church does understand that, but they never get past that point. The second thing they did, it says then they know the Father. They, which is exactly the, almost the exact same phrase that was repeated twice about spiritual fathers. They know the Father, but here's, here's the difference between the children knowing the Father and the mature ones who know the Father. They know Him who was from the beginning. So what does that mean? I believe that part of the maturation process is you begin to know who God is as He is, not as you want Him to be. Every child has an image of their father that eventually changes as they become an adult. Hopefully it's for the better, but sometimes it's for the worse because not all fathers are what they appear to be. But Part of the objective of all of us as we grow up is that we stop making God in the image of our false self. We keep want part of the idea is we want my daddy to beat up your daddy. That's a pretty childish image of the father. And a lot of us have an image like that of the Father, and we need to grow up. But we also know this. We are the apple of his eye. We know we're loved by him. That's the benefit of being a, a, a little child. But these teenagers, they begin to learn how to wrestle with the enemy, and they overcome him. And they begin to be really confident in who God is and in who they are. And they begin to achieve a sense of destiny and a chance a sense of identity, and they begin to not be confused about all the mess out there. Now, that's a, that's a spiritual stage that actually exceeds our so-called stage of teenage years. They actually go into their 20s. Because for most people, and most psychologists will even tell you this, that uh, there's, a, there's an idea called identity achieved. And that is the, the last stage of adulthood. And the stage that often enters in before that is a stage called moratorium. And the stage of moratorium says this. I'm going to put everything I've been taught and everything I've heard and everything that I've been told was true, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to suspend my value system. And I'm going to go try some stuff. Uh, most of us do that. One way or the other. To one degree or another. Some of us get through that stage very quickly. And some of us spend a lifetime there. And a lot of times that's when we hit the wall. 
all of a sudden there's a, well, you know that pastor I love so much and he taught me, it turns out he was a pedophile. Or, you know, I knew somebody that was a Christian, but they were actually a hypocrite. No, probably what they were was somebody that didn't go through their wall, and now you're seeing the fruit of it. Maybe what we all need to do is take responsibility for our own lives and say, you know what, whether my mom or my dad do everything perfectly right, and I understand everything about the Bible, you know what, I'm going to actually just say this, I'm going to trust you, God. That's how you get through. People say, well, how do you get through the wall? Surrender, surrender, surrender. Don't postpone and obfuscate and crawfish and whatever other term you want and blame shift and just say, hey, I want to try some new things. Part of what fathers, those who begin to move out of teenagehood into becoming a father. And by the way, let's go back to the very first slide, the big circle. Everything on the left side over here of the wall, once you get through the wall, you start being a spiritual parent. And eventually, as you enter Christ-likeness, hopefully there is so little that can disturb you because you're so seated with Christ in heavenly places with the steady one, as we heard this morning. And so part of the, the fathers are, the goal for every person in this room is that you become a spiritual mother and a father. And, you're, and my own daughter asked me this question, Dad, how many times do you have to go through the wall? And I, I would just say most of the, in my own life, there was one major wall. There's been about two smaller walls. And the interesting thing about it is those next two were a lot easier, but they still took several months for me to get through. And I had to deal with some stuff that I, I, I realized I was much more shallow than I thought I was. I had over-appraised the value of the depth of my character and I realized that I, I really didn't understand forgiveness nearly to the depth that I needed to understand forgiveness. Which, by the way, that's another one. Surrender and forgiveness are two of the main components of getting through the wall. There's almost no circumstance in your life where you're not going to end up having to forgive someone. Whether they intended to hurt you or not. Sometimes you have to, literally, you have to seek forgiveness for the Lord for your unforgiveness of Him. The Lord doesn't need your forgiveness. He's never done you wrong. Ever. But you think He did, and that is where a lot of people get very stuck who, who walk with the Lord. Because they had this image of God as they were, they said, if I'm devoted to you, my life will turn out perfect, won't it? That's a false image. Part of the teaching of the apostles is that you enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. That's found in the book of Acts. God is, this is why part of, it's like, Steve, could you preach on a little more upbeat? We'll do that another time. 
I want to speak, preach on spiritual gifts, talk about tongues, but that'll be another day. The final stage is this. All, let's turn, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. A lot of us love Romans chapter 8. It's one of the most important texts in the scriptures. I want to read you Verse, let's start in verse 12. Um, let's, let's skip down to verse 19. We're running out of time. For, for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The earnest expectation, it personalizes all of creation in this verse. It basically says that creation has an expectation. And what's their expectation? The revelation of the sons of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, that word is the Greek word huios. And I probably mispronounced it, but that's the way it sounds. And it is the word that's always associated when it talks about Jesus as the son of man or the son of God. The huios. The huios is the fully mature son or daughter of God. It's someone who represents the father. And the scripture is talking here about adoption. And adoption is the term that has nothing to do with what we know as adoption. Adoption is the term that a father would say about their fully matured son who has now been given all the authority of the father, the signet ring, and the father now bestows upon the son and says, whatever my son says is what I've said. That is what Paul meant when he was talking about adoption because he was talking to Greeks who understood this idea. And he, when he said, You're, you are adopted, he wasn't talking about you were no longer, we're not in the family. Yeah, you're in the family, but now you've been released as a fully matured son. And God begins to give you responsibilities that you're now representing him faithfully. And that's what Jesus did. It says in Hebrews, he was a faithful son, servant in the house of the Lord. He, he was found faithful. And that's what we're all being summoned to. So let's all stand up. How many of you would like to grow past the stage you're in? How many of you are willing to stay in the stage you're in for years to come? Because you may have to. I, I mean, you're, you're not going to get to be a father in the Lord or a mother in the Lord if you're still at the childlike stage. But you can accelerate this thing, and that's part of, what, that's part of the message today. But even if you try to accelerate it, you got some tests to pass. You've got some exams to study for. All right, Father, Lord, we just commit this word to you. 
I know this was a little tedious, Lord, but I, I know this is really important to your heart. You really, really want us to understand where we are. Can we understand our stage of growth and what are the next steps for us? Lord, I pray that you would help those who are in moratorium and trying to figure out whether they want to go on, that you would deal with their hearts. And Lord, that they would just say yes. Make a decision and begin to follow you. Get started again, seeking first the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with their childishness or even their infant nature. Lord, I pray that they would make the decisions necessary for you to give them the grace to step into the next level of maturity. Lord, I pray that this would be a church filled with sons and daughters, the weos, the fully matured, bestowed with authority and crowned with delegated power. Lord, that this would be the kind of church we would be. And Lord, we want to be patient with each other. We want to bear one another's burdens. We want to be a church that's full of compassion and loves the infants and the children and the teenagers. Lord, raise up moms and dads that are wiser and more prudent than we've seen in a long, long time. Amen. I'd like for elders and some life group leaders to come up. And we always want to make room for prayer. We always want to make room for you to talk to someone about this what we what the word is today maybe you say you know I, I need to I, I, I'm stuck I've been stuck for a long time spiritually I know I made I know Jesus I know I've met the Lord I just feel like I'm not moving forward now make sure you don't come under condemnation of the this is always my fear about a message like this is that you start going, well, God doesn't like me. No, he likes you. You're, you know, it's like saying, I don't like infants. Stop it. <laughs> Stop saying that about yourself. God doesn't like children. God doesn't like teenagers. He does. He loves them. They're going to be the next generation of fathers and mothers. They've just got to get there. So, but if you say, hey, you know, I've been stuck for a really long time, and maybe it's because of some things I'm not cooperating with God on. Even that process, he redeems. Next time, I'm going to talk about the life of Joseph. And boy, whew, wow. Just read the life of Joseph. It's 25% of the book of Genesis. So it tells you how important it is. It's, it's about this subject exclusively. But if you need some prayer, come and get it. If you are have any kind of sickness, if you are struggling with something that needs prayer for healing, or you just need a, a, a touch of God, I want you to come forward. And if you do not know Jesus, you're surrounded by people that do. Just tap one of them on. You know, around here, we don't require me to be the only guy to talk about it so look at your next door neighbor and say I'd like to know more about Jesus but if you want to come forward you're welcome to as well if you would like to come and talk to somebody 
please do. God bless you.